Hello, everybody. This is Courtney Stanley, and welcome to another exciting episode of Dare to Interrupt, a listening experience where you have the opportunity to be a fly on the wall and sit in on honest, unfiltered conversations with women who are considered to be the most influential and inspiring leaders in the world of events, hospitality, business, and beyond. Throughout their careers, these women have dared to interrupt conversations, their own comfort zones, and sometimes even societal norms to hustle toward their greatest levels of success. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, who is a total boss. Today, we're joined by Angie Ahrens, Vice President of Program and Event Operations at LeaderCast. Angie, it's such an honor to have you on Dare to Interrupt today. Where are you joining us from? Hi, Courtney. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, or I guess the area of Atlanta. You know, everyone's got their areas. Right. <laughs> What's the area that, that you're actually in, or what would you refer to it? As? I am on the northeast side, outside the perimeter, so OTP versus ITP, inside the perimeter, outside the perimeter. Um, so I'm in Duluth, so I'm definitely in the burbs if you live inside the city, um, but so close to the city that I kind of rolled my eyes when people are like, you're so far out. (laughs) I also love the acronym. I feel like I just learned something important about Atlanta life. (laughs) Yeah, OCP, ITP. It's definitely a debate that can happen with people in the area. So be aware. Mm -hmm. Uh, Angie, it would be great if you could just share a little bit with the audience about your role and what you're currently up to at LeaderCast. Yeah, of course. I have been at LeaderCast for just under two years at this point, and I joined the company. I was actually recruited by LeaderCast to help grow their portfolio of events and um, really kind of scale them as an organization. So LeaderCast in itself is a leadership content platform. We produce events, blogs, webinars, podcasts, anything that will help create a better leader and a leader worth following, which is our mission. So in my role, I oversee all of the content. Uh, I work with a community of curators. Uh, I personally don't write the content, but we look at experts in our industry to help facilitate the conversations and write the blogs and be part of that. So I I facilitate that community. And then I also oversee our events and programming. So we have two events a year that are um, broadcast out to thousands of people across the globe. We're present in about 15 countries right now, and um, they're based here in Atlanta currently, but we are looking to potentially ship them in the future. So that I do that, and I also am definitely the cheerleader of our organization. As the sole vice president, I am responsible for the culture of our team and making sure everyone is as upbeat as we possibly can be, especially at a time like this. Yeah, that's that's got to be a pretty important role right now. Have you found it to be challenging this year in trying to help just make sure that everybody feels supported and that their cups are being filled? What has that been like? You know, we, it's such a great question, Courtney, because we have gone through so much shifts as an organization. Definitely with COVID, everyone felt the same pain of leaving an office in March and all of a sudden getting pulled from that. I actually am the only one who's ever worked remotely in our office. So that was a whole shift for our team in general. And pretty quickly after that, we actually got rid of our office. We broke our lease because fiscally didn't make sense for us. So we are now permanently remote. We don't have a headquarters anymore. 
So that transition, even without a pandemic, would be hard in itself, especially within an emotional staff like ours. And I say emotional as our team is so loving and caring for one another. There's so much empathy on our team that everyone really feels connected. And it's been especially hard for them not to be together. So we've um, done a couple different things and we continue to add or shift and do what we need to do to make it a good experience. That's you know through weekly meetings with each other. Uh, we actually made a virtual water cooler channel on our Slack channel because you know the vibe of going to the kitchen and getting a water or coffee, we wanted to like kind of make that experience virtually. So if anyone just needs a break, we encourage them to post in a virtual water cooler. And if anyone else needs a break, they can kind of team up and go on a walk together and have a phone call, or they can do a jigsaw puzzle online, or they can do whatever they need to do for that break. And then I have turned into a DJ. I think I was a DJ in a past life <laughs> where I will host random dance parties on Zoom. So I've taken this approach where I'll just shoot out a link in the virtual water cooler and be like, hey, y'all, one song, this is it. And people will pop on as they can. We don't talk at all. We literally just dance it out. And then I end the Zoom call and that's it. So no conversation, just a good, bad feeling. So it's been a challenge, but we've been creative in what we've had to do to get us to where we have to be. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the DJ aspect. I think that's super cool. And I could totally see you rocking that role. <laughs> what, are, what's, what are some of the songs that you would play? Well, that's the funny thing because I, you know, my father growing up used to call me a walking jukebox because I love music. Um, and I can like pretty much sing, like sing songs from every genre. So they never know what they're going to get. Um, you know, it might be some old school country song at one point, which is definitely not my forte, but I will play that because I know some people on our team like it. Uh, or I'll shift over to like Fits in the Tantrums or something more EDM style at one point. I play a lot of 70s. I think people really gravitate towards the 70s and the 80s because, you know, there's either a nostalgic thing depending on the generation you're from or it's like a fun kickback or I don't know. I think people are really good with that genre. The 90s creep in too, but, uh, you know, it varies. Definitely varies. That's so fun. Angie, I love that. And I definitely think you should take this to a whole new level and just make this <laughs> DJ business a side hustle. That's so fun. That's Done. so fun. Done. <laughs> So something that you mentioned that is part of LeaderCast's mission is, you know, supporting and, and lifting up and partnering with leaders who are worth following. What does that mean? You know, that is something we ask every guest on our podcast, every speaker on, st on stage, everyone we pretty much interact with. We ask, what makes a leader worth following? And really, it's whatever you feel that you need at that time as an individual. For me, I always look for someone who's very authentic as well as empathetic in their leadership and respectful of themselves, because those are things that I strive to be as a leader. I want to be the best role model I can be for my teams, and I want to be able to reciprocate that up as well. So it's really what you make it. We believe at LeaderCast that you are not born necessarily a leader. A leader. It definitely takes practice to be a leader, though. There are skills out there that you need. There are lessons you need to learn. And as you take those on, you become a better leader. So a leader worth following is really what you need it to be in that moment in your life, knowing that can change and shift for you as you move forward in your career. 
think that makes a lot of sense. Have you worked with some leaders who have just really stood out to you as really memorable speakers or really authentic, um, influential leaders that you have personally began to follow and, and just watch for? And who have been some of those really great people that you've had a chance to meet and maybe work with a little bit? Great question. I have worked with so many keynotes in my previous job and in this current job that everyone's got a different skill set and things that they want to deliver in their keynotes. I do have to say, and this is not any foreshadow of my name, but Angela Ahrens from Burberry, <laughs> Apple, all the things, same name friends. I just loved watching her and her confidence and respect for herself was very strong. And I love to see that in a female leader, especially as she kind of navigated separate pools of industries. Um, another speaker that I really, really enjoyed was Derek Kayango. And I worked with him a long time, but he, you probably know him, Courtney, the Global Soap Project. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Fantastic. Yeah, his energy is just amazing and how he talks about coming from not much and seeing how one little movement can shift the whole concept of just the whole story of the Global Soap Project is just something that is really strong for me from a sustainability approach as well as a human approach. So watching his story and talk about how his passion has really excelled him as a leader was something that I also really gravitated towards. Now there are 8 million people out there that I just loved their keynotes. Um, I loved their message. You know, I haven't really had the opportunity to work with someone who wasn't great, um, which, you know, I'm very thankful for, but everyone's got a little different bit of their message and their inspiration or learning pattern, which makes it just a really great opportunity to be part of. Yeah. And don't worry, I wasn't going to ask you about the, if you've worked with anybody <laughs> that's maybe not been the easiest or most pleasant. Yeah. That's, that's really everyone's cool. first question though. I have to tell you, everyone's <laughs> like, who don't you like working? And I'm very mute on it. I don't usually share. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. I don't think that's a wise road to choose. So right. no, I would, I would not ask you that question. But something that you said that I think is super important is just talking about the idea of the importance of self-respect and how important it is as a leader to really showcase the importance of self-respect and um, and be able to really lead the people around you effectively. Is that something that you feel like has been core to your leadership style as well? Yes. And I, I can't say that I haven't tripped getting there. It's been definitely a journey for me in how I've gained that self-respect. I've always been a pretty confident person in who I am and just confident in the fact that I'm very comfortable with who I am and those I surround myself with. And I believe to my core and humanity spirit. So for me, that's always been very something, it's always been pretty stable in me. When it came to respect, I always thought that I was so good in it until I was actually shaken by it. And it was, as soon as you're kind of disrespected in a way, it kind of broke down these walls for me and I kind of forgot who I was. I lost myself a little bit at this point in my career. And, you know, once I realized that I lost it, I kind of was like slapping myself across the face. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's not who you are. But, you know, it was a harsh reality when it happened. And I kind of vowed to myself that I would never let it get to that point ever again. So I'm very alert when it comes to being respected. And 
as a leader, to be a respectful leader, it's a fine line because confidence is strong and people can see that as a negative, especially for women. And it's not, it's definitely a, a strong suit for us to be confident and respectful in who we are. But it's a fine line of making sure that you always respect others first. And you can't respect others if you don't respect yourself. You have to make sure you have a full cup in order to do that. So I always believe in, no matter what it is, respect, whatever adjective you want to use in leadership. If you want to be that person, you have to make sure that you are strong in that core and make sure you push it out to others because that's the only way it works in my, in my head. Mm-hmm. Was there, I'm curious, was there a point when you realized that you were sacrificing some of that self-respect? Absolutely. Yeah. I can pick the time, the date, I can give you the scenario. Um, yeah. It was a specific moment when, you know, my health was out of control. Um, I got really, really sick. Um, I was extremely emotional. And as someone who isn't usually emotional like that, to that extent, it was very rocked me to the core. Um, I couldn't verbalize how I was like feeling and I kept that all very internally. I, no one even knew I was, I was such a hot mess. And I think my, the only person I knew was my husband. And at that point he was like, Hey, I really need you to take a step back. I, I need you to get back to your core of who you are. And the moment that he called me out on it meant that it was really there. Uh, you know, normally he kind of just, I don't want to say he lets me by me and do whatever I do, but he just knows that I'm very strong in who I am. And we are both, both extremely independent people. So when one of us has to pull the other one aside and be like, hey, something's going on here. Do we need to talk? That's usually when you're like, whoa, I'm really down the rabbit hole and I need to pull myself out. So it was a, a really hard moment and it really shook a lot of things in my life at that point. So when I looked at time management, when I took a look at my health, when I took a look at my career, when I took a look at my friendships, like it kind of really shook a lot of things to me. And I realized it was because I lost my core value and I needed to get that back. So yeah, it, it was a pretty damaging moment that when I look back, it was more damaging than I thought it was. And even in that moment, um, but it's a good learning lesson and something that I won't return to in the future. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I have so many thoughts around this. One, <laughs> so one, one thing that I just want to point out that I think is really interesting, but also important for people to think about a little bit more is how we define self-respect. Because if you just, if you just say the word self-respect, it could mean so many different things. And I think that's the reality is that it could be so many different things to different people. I like right. the, the examples that you used about how self-respect meant, you know, being healthy and feeling like yourself and staying true to your values. And even thinking about, you know, some of the past experiences that I've had in my career where I definitely did not prioritize my own needs and not, you know, I really didn't prioritize that aspect of self-respect. And a lot of the symptoms of that decision were things like anxiety 
and sacrificing my mental health and sacrificing my time. And it's just interesting because I don't know that I've even really thought about that as sacrificing my self-respect before. And I, I think that that's really important for people to hear that self-respect isn't just about, you know, commanding a room or, you know, having a really prominent reputation or a seat at a table or even being heard, but it's, it could also be things like feeling like yourself and standing by your values and making sure that you are prioritizing your mental health. So I just think that's so interesting, Angie, that you use that example, because I don't know that I've even personally thought about it that way before. And it, to be honest, I never did until it happened, you know, cause I was thinking along the lines of what you just said, it's how you command a room. It's how you present yourself. It's the awards you win, it's how the highest grade that you get, it's all that stuff of confidence when it comes to self-respect. But I think the moment, in that moment, I realized that once you give up so much of yourself, you're not respecting yourself anymore. You know, you need to do the self-care to be fully respectful of your body and how you're moving forward. And I am definitely not a person that's um, really honed in on their body by any means. I have a long way to go. I'm not like a huge practicer of medicine or anything like that, holistic medicine. But in that moment, it was very rich in thought and how I needed to move forward and take care of myself to make sure I'm at the utmost respect. And that was also a moment where I had to say no to people. I had to be like, no, I've gotten to this way because you were allowing me to get to this way. You put me in this situation. I let you put me in this situation. And so it was that offgoing respect piece of others as well that played into that part. So what, what was that experience like going from having that moment and that epiphany where your husband helped make you aware of something that was going on and then moving forward from there, what were some of the things that you had to do and say to be able to get to a place of stability in terms of your, you know, mental health, your emotional health, and also feeling like you were, you were being true to those core values that you had. So I know you mentioned, you know, saying no to people, but what are some of the, what are some of the things that were maybe a really tough for you to do to change those behaviors or even to change your reality? I think I am such a people pleaser or I was such a people pleaser for so much of my life that saying no was always extremely hard for me. It's something that I've had to practice. I've gotten better at it despite what other people might think. <laughs> I've definitely have gotten better at it. Um, and I'm also a person that likes to keep her really, really busy. So I would constantly be scheduling not only, not only my work life busy, but my personal life. We were constantly on the go. I, I was an extreme extrovert. I do not think I'm an extreme extrovert anymore. So part of that was reevaluating the things in my life. I had to look at the organizations I was volunteering and making sure that fulfilled me. I had to look at some friendships and think, is that really where I wanted to be affiliated with? And, you know, I think the biggest part of it was professionally. I was traveling a lot at that point in my life. Um, I needed to take a step back and get off the airplane, which now I'm wishing I was on an airplane. Um, <laughs> it's part of that piece. <laughs> But it just was a, hey, you know, I need to delegate this more. I need to give it to the people on the team. I would also like to say at that point, I was, didn't have a team when that break point happened. So I was taking on a lot more than a normal person should. 
And at that point I had to demand a bigger team. I had to hire people so I could teach them and mentor them and get them caught up to where I was so that I could push things off my plate and really get back to a normal, quote unquote, normal um, hour in a day because I was just working crazy hours. So that was all about empowering other people to help me loosen the load. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you were supported in that time of your life by the people around you, the people you worked for, the people you worked with? Do you feel like when you were trying to, you know, share the workload and be a little bit more forward with your boundaries, do you feel like you were supported by your peers, your bosses, and the people that were on your team? Yes. And I say that because I think I surprised people. They were so used to me not saying anything at that point. Um, I was used to not saying anything at that point. I think I was just always, yes, yes, whatever we need. And I just took a step back and I was like, no, I need to take the next week off. I need to get a break from all of you. I cannot do this anymore. And I don't want to say there was um, like a fear factor of, oh gosh, what's Angie going to do? But I think people were more surprised and they were very supportive in the fact of take that time for yourself, come back when you're ready. Yes, we'll get you the help absolutely i'm sorry it's gotten to this point so there was good conversation around that but you know you should never let it get to that breaking point and was that my fault was it their fault it's probably a little bit of all of ours like i wish someone else could have recognized it before i did um i wish that i recognized it earlier as well but we were all a very collective unit when it did happen and i got the support i needed in that moment so it was really good that's fantastic I yes. feel like that's it's not the best always case that case scenario. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's definitely not. And actually, um, going back to what I was referencing earlier with the kind of those similar moments that I've had in my previous roles in my career, that's it. I was not lucky enough to have that support, uh, especially from the person that I was directly reporting to. And I remember. I was travel. I was also traveling all the time, just like you mentioned, Angie. And I can totally relate to you saying that you used to be more of an extrovert and now you're more of an introvert because I also totally went through that transformation where I think I just got really burned out by always being on the road, always being in situations where my job was to kind of be that extrovert and be that networker, be that speaker, be that leader, be the person in the room who was the one who was meant to or supposed to lead conversations. So there, I remember there hit a point a few years back now where I had just been doing that too much. And I was so drained and so burned out. And I remember I mentioned it to my boss at the time and his response was, well, you should just be grateful that you're able to travel. And it, it's such a, it's such a weird position to be trying to be open, you know, with somebody that you need help or you need a break or send somebody else on the road. I need to be in the office for more than three days at a time. And to have your boss turn around and say, well, you know, this is, this is an opportunity. So you're either, you know, you like it and you're in it or you don't like it and, you know, you don't have to do it anymore and you can kind of move on. Right. And that's kind of the vibe that, that um, existed in that office where it was like, you know, either you're, you're here and you're going a hundred percent and you're grinding and you're committed or um, you're replaceable. And so I remember 
I, I mean, in that particular position, I stuck it out as hard and as long as I possibly could, but it took a real toll on my mental well-being. The, oh my gosh, Angie, the anxiety that I experienced in that job was through the roof. It was something that I didn't know how to manage. I don't even think I really knew how to identify what the different uh, wellness challenges that I was dealing with were. It was such a, a difficult time and I just kept pushing. I kept, mm-hmm. I think being an achiever and being that person that's always wanting to you know, prove that they can do the job and um, give 100% and be a little bit of a a blend between a perfectionist and a people pleaser, it's tough for that personality to be able to kind of hit pause or take a step back or um, completely change direction because maybe the environment that you're in isn't serving you in all of the best ways. So what I love about your story is that you did have that person to kind of tap you on the shoulder and your husband said, hey, Ange, like, we need to figure out what's going on here because it doesn't seem like you're yourself. And I think going through even the professional experiences that I went through, I wish that I had kind of had that person to say, girl, you're going really hard. Are you okay? Do you feel supported? Do you need help? Like it would have been so helpful to have maybe that voice to pull me out of the ambitious train wreck that I was really putting myself through at that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tim and I have had this conversation because my number one strength in strength finders is achiever. Uh, I've always been one. It screams me when I do it. And for a while, I loved that. I loved that to the core. I was like, yes, I was definitely the kid in high school who was doing everything to the top of the ability that you could do in college. I was the same way. And you know, I always felt like if I wasn't a president of an organization, what was I doing? Yep, um, it was yep. definitely one of those things. <laughs> and so recently, I feel like I've made that shift where I'm like, oh gosh, my number one strengths achiever. Like I look at it very different now where almost as a, a negative sometimes that I'm like, hey, I don't always have to be the top there. Like, does it eat me up a little bit when I don't get something done as fast as I could or you know, yeah, a little bit, but I'm working on that. And it still definitely drives me to the core of who I am. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's even harder as an individual to take that step back. So not only what did I have Tim as supporting me, I did have my current boss see the fact that I needed that at that time, because I essentially demanded it at that time, I needed it. But I was really the one who had to take it the hard truth first, because I was so like you go, 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 go. And I had to take a step back because I thought that's what I had to do. I thought that I was protecting my job. I thought I was being the best I can be. I wanted to be in this industry that I love and I wanted to do all the things. And I remember right around that time, my boss was like, hey, you don't have to go on that trip. And I was like, what? Of course I need to go on this trip. Like it's an advisory board. Of course I need to go and give them my thoughts. Like they've asked me to be there. It's my responsibility And he was like, I'm just letting you know that you can say no to some of these things. And I remember being so taken aback by that. And he and I had a very good relationship at that time. And we were very open and honest about things. So it was another kind of time for me to step back and be like, but I really want to go. So trying to navigate the wants with the needs 
was that biggest struggle for me, I think, as I worked my way through that. And I still work my way through that. You know, there are times when, you know, you have to go to the airport and it's kind of like going to the gym sometimes for me. Like, I hate getting there, but once I'm there, I'm fine. Right. Um, so <laughs> it's kind of like working through that pattern. And so, yeah, it's just a lot of self-recognition at the same point too. But you're right. Like without Tim, I would be, I would be lost. So he definitely helped me with that. Yeah, it's funny. I totally empathize with a love-hate relationship with travel. I, I and actually, I I know I, I recognized maybe a couple years ago or something that I would, whether it was in my head or I would say it out loud, I would complain about having to travel so much. And then if I would slow down for a little bit too long, I would start to get that itch and complain, you know, whether again, that's in my head or out loud about how, oh, I just wish that I could get on a plane. And I think a lot of people are actually going yeah. through that this year where people went into 2020 and they were feeling like they really just needed a break. You know, I mean, the industry had been doing so, so well for the past however many years and people were traveling all the time and booking meetings everywhere in every corner of the world. And I think people, at least from some of my closer friends, it was, it could be a lot. And I totally, totally empathized with that. But then when 2020 happened and travel, right, 2020 just happened and <laughs> the, the travel just stopped cold. I think people were left feeling like, all I want to do is just go somewhere or just reconnect with people. And it's, it is a balance. I really do think that it's a balance. And I think it's important to be able to create that balance. So not to wait for a global pandemic to hit pause and slow life down for, for you and I. And I think that's, that's something that's actually been a blessing for a lot of people this year is to have that space to just rest and heal and reevaluate their dreams and their priorities. And I know it's been a very challenging year for the industry, but I do think that there's been an opportunity for people to really reflect and to hit reset on whatever has been going on for the past handful of years. But that said, I'm sure that COVID has also been a huge challenge as a leader and also within the type of work that you do, being that you're in charge of all of these different programs and events for LeaderCast. What have been some of the biggest curveballs or the biggest challenges that you feel like you have had to navigate due to COVID this year? I wish I could just say COVID as an umbrella. Right. Um, it's, <laughs> I think when to talk about travel just briefly again, you know, I was traveling 150,000 miles every year with my last company. And then I went down to about 75,000 when I started at this company and then for it to just to be stopped. Uh, I was already slowly going down. So that had just made an impact in your right. Like you got an itch for it. You were kind of like, wait, what? I don't, I remember the first trip I took since March was over the July 4th holiday. And yes, I've, I'm one of those people that have been on planes and since March. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to do this anymore, which is super dramatic, 100% dramatic. But that impact of the lack of travel, because travel is one of my main passions. So that definitely affected me more mentally than I thought it was going to be, because I truly believe in the culture and humanity of community. And so not being able to experience 
culture and people really hit me harder than I thought it was going to hit me. Uh, obviously, I told you that we left our office at LeaderCast. And so leading through that change of, hey, we're actually going to be okay, because sometimes when you close the door on a brick and mortar, people start to panic. And we had to deal with that emotion of that panic, as well as, you know, the COVID panic. And then unfortunately, unfortunately, we also lost our CEO in May. And so when you lose your CEO without a pandemic, that can also be an upheaval. Um, with a pandemic, it makes it that much worse because you're not together. You're not able to talk through all the feelings of what happened or whatever you need to do. And we've just kind of been um, floating a little bit because we just didn't know what the unknown looked like. Adaptability is definitely one of my other strengths, but you can't adapt when you don't know what you're adapting to. So the unknown of the future for our industry has been really harsh as well. And I have been dealing with what I'm saying is similar maybe to survivor guilt, because I don't know how else to call it that, but it's still having my job while seeing friends and colleagues get furloughed only to be laid off um, has been more damaging than I ever thought it would be to me. And I can't imagine what they're going through. And you know, every day you were checking in on people to check in and see how they were doing and um, make sure they know that you can utilize them whenever they need to. But then it was getting to a point where you would have 10 people a day say, hey, if you have a job, let me know. And you were kind of like, I, I'm not hearing about any jobs. I don't know how to help you right now. I can connect you, but I don't even know how to help at this point. So I felt like all of that was really happening. And then obviously all the other social injustice items going on in the world did not help either. And as needed as these conversations are, it's still a lot to process. And so there's a lot of unpacking, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings, a lot of conversations that are completely necessary but difficult that were also happening. And as a leader, sometimes you just don't know what to say. And I think the best thing as a leader in those situations is to be honest about that. It's just to be authentic about it and say, I'm feeling all the feelings you're feeling too. We're going to be okay. I just don't have an answer for you right now. We need more time. And we had to do that several times because of the changes at the company. And I'm so proud of this team. And we have two investors who are very supportive in that as well and really believe in our mission and have a passion for leadership. So knowing that everyone believes in the core value of what we're doing helps but it doesn't mean it's less difficult. So mentally, it's been definitely a challenge for me in all those different facets and having to kind of navigate that positivity as well. Have you had to take a lot of your programs virtual or have you decided to do hybrid or push them off until next year? Because that's a whole other layer of curveballs <laughs> that COVID has thrown layer. our way. Yeah, so what does yeah. that look like for you? So our May event, um, you know, we had to reimagine it like everyone else very quickly. And when everyone was canceling, we decided just to do it all virtual at that point. We had already had our foot in the water at this point. We have been broadcasting our events to thousands of people globally. So we already knew how to do hybrid in a sense because we were doing a broadcast. So we actually had to get creative and we sent camera equipment to every speaker's home. So when you're sending camera equipment to, you know, Richard Montanez, the founder of 
the spicy Cheetos uh, and you're like having him set up a camera in his house and you're like, yeah, do this, do that. That's what we had to do. And we wanted good quality content, but quality production. And at that Mm -hmm. point, no studios were open. So we did the best that we could, made the whole event on demand, similar to like a Netflix model. And then in October, our events in actually two weeks, we did the same thing. So instead of doing the camera work where we're sending it individually to everyone's homes, I flew to New York City, uh, got a studio, green screen studio for one day, filmed four speakers there. We sent production teams to the speakers' homes that were comfortable with that following all the PPE guidelines and doing what you needed to do. Um, And then had one camera sent to one of our speakers' houses, Abby Wambach, down in Florida, and we're in production mode right now. So we'll be doing another on-demand event for this October event. And all of our other content, so when, I think the best thing about this is people have, have learned all the different elements of virtual, right? You know, when we were doing webinars, People didn't see that as a virtual event, and now they kind of do. That has also created an issue in a way, because now we are competing with a whole new set of people. I mean, there are so many webinars out there, and Zoom fatigue is real. So our webinar attendance has dipped a little bit, um, just because I think people have so many options now. But hopefully, we'll be doing hybrid in May of 2021 and um, crossing our fingers that in the future we will get back to our previous model or we'll just continue to adapt as applicable. But we haven't canceled anything, we just shifted. And I love that you use the word reimagine. I think that's such a lovely yeah. word and I think it's it sounds more like an opportunity instead of a have to. So I think that, that that kind of puts a positive spin on things too. I actually had a friend the other day ask me for some advice around her September 2021 event and whether she, just based on the conversations I've been having with people in the industry, whether she should plan to be in-person versus hybrid versus virtual. And I had a really hard time giving her any clear advice. And it was one of those moments where I just had to say, I really don't know, you know? I mean, this is, it's so unpredictable right now. Of course, my hope is that at that point, maybe, you know, in-person is much more normal than it is right now but it was it was tough to to be able to give her any sort of cleared ideas or even direction um, because obviously virtual hybrid and in person all have risks and they all have pros and cons and it's just so hard to to tell but what i mean what do you think angie just looking at 2021 and trying to plan out your events that might normally be in person or hybrid do you have any sort of idea of when you think that things might get back to that more traditional in-person experience? I wish I had a magic eight ball. Um, I don't, I don't know. I just know that on our end, we will be reducing our footprint. So we will definitely be doing smaller meetings in anticipation of it still being here in 2021 and just people's comfort. I, I'm not even sure it's, you know, COVID being out there. I think it's people's comfort. So thousands and thousands of people in, in arena, like we've done in the past, won't be happening in 2021, most likely. But we are getting an arena for our May event. But we are planning on having it 
30% full or more if we can. We're just really planning for a lot of social distancing and making sure we have that option. And no matter what, we will definitely be a hybrid. We will definitely be some sort of hybrid option for our attendees to ensure that they get the content. But we do wanna have a, a smaller in-person event if we can. If it can be bigger, great, but we're, we're making it that we can scale it. I know not everyone has that luxury when it comes to spacing, but that's something that we're planning on doing. And I'm hoping that next fall, it might be a little bit bigger. I think we can just kind of scale as we can be, but I think hybrid is definitely gonna be here for a, a long while. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too, Angie. I think 2021 is still going to be a year where we are reimagining some of the things that we've done in the past, but time will tell. Okay, so final question for you. If you could share one piece of advice with other women in the industry or just people in general who maybe have been struggling due to COVID or due to burnout, but if you could give another another just snippet of wisdom to the audience today, what do you want to leave them with? Keep learning. I, I definitely have always been a life learner in everything that I've done. And I think that's the only way you can grow. So if you can keep learning both professionally and personally, uh, when I say professionally, taking classes online, there's so much content out there right now that you can learn how to maybe do something you've never wanted or even thought about doing previously, but now you're in a situation where you can, definitely get up on that opportunity. And if you can learn more about what you're currently doing, even better. And then when you have to look inside, keep learning about yourself, keep learning how to take better care of yourself, uh, whatever you need to do to keep your health space the best that it can be, learn how to do that and know that it's okay to take those breaks as you're learning to adapt. I think that's great advice and super timely for what people could be experiencing right now. Thank you so much, Angie, for sharing your insight and knowledge with us today. And thank you all for listening. Share what you learned from this episode with me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by following at Meetings Today and Courtney on stage. And be sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to Dare to Interrupt on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and more. Stay daring, be kind, and keep learning, my friends. Until next time.